Hey, it's Adam. Thanks for checking out Wabi Sabi. It's been about a month since I posted my last convo with Olivia as I've been traveling with my family, so thanks for bearing with me. In the meantime, I'd like to share that I have my first official sponsor for the show, White 2 Tea. I've pretty much been quelling about this tea company throughout the previous episodes, and I've been a personal fan for about four solid years. Um, their pu'er selection is stellar and fits every budget. So check out white2t.com. Tea like no other. This week I'm thrilled to share my conversation with an old friend, Colin Hudon, founder of livingtea.net. I first met Colin at Burning Man 10 years ago and watched him begin his tea journey in parallel with becoming a TCM practitioner and licensed acupuncturist. His company, Living Tea, purveys some of the best aged teas I've ever had the pleasure of imbibing, and he also launched a seasonal tea club there as well. He's based in Telluride, Colorado, and if you're seeking TCM wisdom as well as acupuncture, please look him up. We both happen to be drinking rock teas, aka Yancha, which was a funny synchronicity, and we spoke of tea culture, finding new homes, technology, and sympathetic joy. Yes, I am uh, honored to have you. I've been thinking uh, recently, I've been trying to get in a in a flow of doing these conversations. And of course, once you try and enact a flow, the universe is like, yeah, no, not going to happen quite the way you want it to, but, um, <laughs> but uh, regardless of that, I am, um, you know, you're the first like old school tea friend, chajin, whatever you want to call it that I'm able to have as a guest. So I'm, I'm grateful. Awesome. Um, and yeah. And <clears throat> I know that when I reached out to you about, about this conversation, I wanted to talk, you know, I wanted to, I guess, focus around, you know, two or three subjects. Um, but I also, I'm, I'm weary of trying to be premeditated in terms of, being in a conversation like this, you know, I feel like there's a lot of um, room for for magic or for storytelling or for, you know, sort of unexpected moments of inspiration um, when things are just kind of left to their own uh, devices, I think. Devices. Speaking of devices... Swimming in hello? a sea of devices. Hello, hello. Yeah. Yes. Hello, hello. I'm still here. Oh, okay. I think uh, let me move a little bit closer to my Wi-Fi connection or to my um, Bluetooth connection so we don't run the risk of it cutting out. Okay. Um, just give me about 20 seconds. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. Okay, we're good. Um, yeah, I like all that. And I imagine you've got your own way of conducting these conversations. And so I'm open to however you want to do it. Yeah, I would like to... I guess I'd like to start by just asking you the obvious. Um, you know, on, on the one hand, I always think about how I want to introduce people within a conversation, or I also would like to just kind of open the, the gates um, 
to for you to you know introduce yourself um, to listeners and tell people you know who you are and what it is that you're doing these days yeah great I mean uh, every time I think I know who I am I tend to soon find out that that's not true so we'll just start <laughs> we'll start with that uh, uh, you know I think as somebody said recently, man is a plurality. His name is Legion. Uh, I think we have a lot of different selves floating in, around inside of us. But all that said, um, you know, I uh, my name is Colin Hudon, obviously. And I grew up here in Colorado. And as you know, because we met out in California, I spent about 12 years in between San Francisco and L.A. And during that journey, uh, Following, I did a minor in Asian relig religious studies in university. Uh, a, a growing fascination with Eastern culture kind of led me down a path um, that now when people come into my home here in Telluride for tea ceremonies, they go, are you sure you're a white guy from Colorado? Uh, so meaning, you know, I've been very fascinated by Eastern traditions and practices and uh Went to school for traditional Chinese medicine for almost seven years. Uh, so I practiced acupuncture and herbalism and uh, cupping and moxibustion and all that stuff. And uh, throughout it, became very fascinated by traditional tea ceremony and the traditions uh, associated with tea ceremony and started traveling pretty extensively in 2009 and 10 and never really stopped. So, and actually, I think you were the first person I talked to about, I remember we were sitting in a coffee shop of all places. Uh, we were, yeah, we were sitting in Venice at Intelligentsia. Yeah, and I just had this bug. I had this itch to go and try to travel to where these old growth tea forests are and it kind of became an obsession and uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to kind of pull it together and went to Yunnan, the birthplace of all tea and traveled around uh, Taiwan and China and, uh, and came back and started sharing tea with more and more people and um, here we are what uh, you know, almost 10 years later. I mean, that's a little terrifying to admit that actually. Uh, is it really though? Well, I mean, I think, is it really that long or is it really terrifying? <laughs> is it really terrifying? I guess that's a better question. I mean, I guess it's sort of, uh, you know, I have had this experience in the last couple of months of going, man, life seems to pass quickly. You know, it does. And, yeah. uh, Terrifying is maybe not the word, but I would say um, I find myself slightly startled when I say, oh, that happened 10 years ago, because it doesn't seem like it's been that long. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm in a, in a fun, you know, hilariously enough, I'm in the same 10 year haha cycle as well. But yeah, please continue. In what, in what sense? In the sense of like 10 years ago this month was uh it was the very first pot of what i understood to be you know aged tea or, or puer it turns out to be a ripe puer that i've ever had in a in a gong fu style uh, um yeah at, at om shanti at, at uh you know the once legendary tea house yeah. still legendary tea house yeah 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 um that was that's exactly 10 years ago like right now <laughs> yeah wow so there you go right it's uh, mm -hmm. full, full circle Actually, mm -hmm. one of the first places where I found myself going, I, I have to learn more about this, was sitting in that same tea house in San Francisco, and I mm -hmm. picked up a uh, a book of Baisal, the famous sort of tea saint uh, of his poetry, which mm -hmm. are these sort of witty Zen poems. And I remember reading it and just uh, just saying, there is so much here, and I want to know more about it, and I don't know how it's going to happen, but I've got to find a way. So. Um, so we both, I think probably, probably Om Shanti was instrumental in a lot of people's first experiences of, of real tea. Yeah, potentially for sure.
Mm. At least here on the West Coast, I suppose. Yeah. Are you sipping tea now? I mean, I got to know. I am. I'm actually tra- <laughs> If you must know. Um, yeah, I try, you know, if I if I lived in a if we lived in a utopia, I would be sitting sitting with every guest with these hilarious little microphones and my computer and and you know, at minimum a gaiwan or a pot, you know, two cups, that kind of deal. Um, but I am sitting with uh, a teacup that I I I made. I I started throwing pottery, um, or wheel throwing. I should be specific. I started wheel throwing at the beginning of this year, thanks to a, a lovely class series gift from Pam, my partner. Nice. And I'm drinking a really sexy yancha from. Um, Y2T, it's called Stone Milk. Uh-huh, nice. Well, mm-hmm. I must have gotten the memo because I'm sitting down to a Shuishan, which is a water uh, water fairy, also of uh, Yencha, which is really very nice. So Awesome. So there yeah. we go. We, we somehow realized we needed to drink similar teas for this company. This was, for anyone listening, this is, this is not premeditated. We did not make this plan. Yeah, but it is evidence of tea geekery because we're speaking in a language that most people are like, what are these guys talking about? Right. <laughs> which is yeah, which is also funny to think about like how I how I either consciously or subconsciously choose to you know, present some of these some of the vocabulary or um yeah, the geekery as we would lovingly call it. Um you know, yansha is another way of saying rock oolong. It's a it's a type of oolong. I like to call it cliff tea because it sounds more dramatic. But yeah, rock right. tea. Cliff tea. <laughs> I think I think for the I'd say for the foodies, rock oolong may sound better because it it you know it's almost if you were to close your eyes and to lick a rock in a tasty minerally way, that's kind of what is going on here. Yeah, and a floor, cliff in a florally yeah. kind of way. Yeah. In a florally rocky kind of way. But I do like cliff tea. Yeah. Cliff tea is also a great way of saying that. It uh that I've been lucky enough to travel to Fujian to Wuisan to this uh national park where this tea comes from. And uh it's one of the most stunningly beautiful places in the world. And this word terroir, which is uh one of the one of the words from wine that I'm happy that tea borrowed it. Um because it evokes so much, uh, you know, terroir being the soil and the precipitation and the mist and the rain and the people and everything that comprises an area, really. Um, cliff tea, I think, tastes more like the environment than any tea I've had. Uh, meaning that in this national park, it's just these turquoise rivers everywhere and cliffs everywhere and little plateau tea gardens poking up you know, every direction you look in these very dramatic mountains. And uh, it's an incredibly beautiful place. So when you drink the tea, you really feel like you're drinking the environment. Amazing. That's actually a good question for you. Um, You know, being someone who's had the opportunity uh, as a, you know, as a tea person, beyond a tea person, as someone who has a tea company, um, you know, being able to travel to purvey your teas uh, in, in, you know, in the right relationships with, you know, whether it's uh, you know, growers or farmers or manufacturers or whatnot, you know, what would you say to, uh, you know, the nine out of 10 of us tea people who haven't, haven't yet traveled to tea regions or uh, have the chance to, to, you know, purvey tea in, in that style? Yeah. Well, I would say, you know, there's some hackneyed saying every cup is a journey and every sip is a a voyage or something along those lines. I'm butchering it horrifically, but that's probably something I wrote on my website. Of course, now I can't remember what I even said. Um, But what I would say is that really good teas do evoke the places from which they come. You know, one of the things we say in our tradition is the leaf is the tree's expression of its relationship to the environment. Um, 
And I think that's certainly true with a lot of these teas. You can learn so much about where they came from just by really sitting and enjoying the tea uh, kind of mindfully. So that's one thing. That's the first thing I'll say is you don't necessarily have to travel halfway around the world to get a sense and feeling and appreciation for these places. Um, that said, for any real tea lover or over time tea obsessor, as it as happens, as you know, mm-hmm. um, being able to travel to the to the places, you know, let's say you love you love teas from Dian Hong. Uh, which is an area in in Yunnan in Southwest China. Being able to go to that area and walk in and experience sitting in those old growth forests and and walking around and really seeing the trees and meeting the farmers and seeing how they process those teas, that brings a dimension of appreciation um, to really a new level. And the one thing that's stands out a lot for me having traveled now quite a bit over the last 10 years in Asia is I've developed a real appreciation that's turned into a reverence uh, for how much goes into one good cup of tea, meaning the it's an incredibly labor intensive process to, to uh, nurture the forest to protect them to pick the leaves at the right time to know when to pick them and then to process the tea into its end product oftentimes you have to travel to pretty remote areas on dirt roads just to get to the old growth forests um and then you know the processing the packaging and then people like me or whomever travel around the world and they have to track these places down i mean there's and then bring it back and sometimes repackage it or whatever. And it, the, the journey of a, from leaf to cup is extensive, laborious, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of time and energy. And uh, I've developed a real appreciation for how much goes into a good cup of tea. And that's something I try to call to mind uh, anytime I'm serving tea or even when I'm you know just sitting myself because... I think that kind of reverence is is one of the elements that really adds an, a deeper dimension to to enjoying this uh, practice and this this I want to call it a beverage, but in the op- the opening line of the Book of Tea, which is an amazing book, he says, "Tea began as a medicine and turned into a beverage." So. Mm. Um, Appreciating it that way, I think, gets it back to the the medicinal qualities as a shen tonic. So that that was a mouthful. So that might have not, I might not have even even answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's but you know it's wonderfully said. I mean, there's you know the difference between like like you know even in layman's terms, right? If someone grows their own vegetables or can grow something, you know, herbs or fruit, or if they have fruit trees, or if they have a little, um, um, what is it, raised, a raised uh, bed to just grow something, the way that they appreciate what they may have grown and or harvested and or prepared for food uh, goes into a level of reverence, joy, life celebration, uh, that you you can't get no matter how pretty the graphics are at Whole Foods or something, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, so I feel like you know we've we've so lost our connection to where things come from because you can walk into Whole Foods and buy mangoes in December, you know. So um, we, we I think we take a lot for granted, myself included, and. In taking things for granted, we lose a lot of the magic of appreciating how abundant we are and how much we have. And, uh, you know, I just was thinking of my uh, one of my cousins who built a greenhouse at his he's got a Christmas tree farm in eastern Canada. Yep. And uh, he built this greenhouse a couple summers ago, maybe four summers ago. And I said to him, well, why'd you build a greenhouse? Like you guys have such great gardens here. And he said, half kiddingly, I wanted to eat a tomato in the middle of December because I love tomatoes and I can never get them all winter. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it took trial and error and study and all this to get a good tomato to grow in the middle of winter. <laughs> and just this past winter, you know, he sends me a picture and it's just a tomato with some basil and I think balsamic or whatever. And he said, you have no idea how unbelievable the experience of eating this tomato is. Like in a blizzard or something. Like in a yeah. blizzard in the middle of December with 10 feet of snow around his home. Uh, because he'd put so much time and energy and appreciation into the, the process of where it came from. Amazing. Yeah. And you look at, and, and you take stock in that, you know, whether you are the one receiving the message or your, your cousin who's, who's done the, you know, put in the work and the labor and you, you can't help but take a step back and go like, here's a little triumph of humanity in the face of, you know, natural, <laughs> natural processes and and in the face of what is i'm i'm going to do this thing my way almost as a as an act of art or as an act of poetry or an act of love you yeah know? and in some ways a subversive act which mm-hmm. uh, you know always appeals to the rascal in me is sure. um, when you do something that is even if it's good for everybody involved not morally good but you know pragmatically good like eating a healthy organic tomato, whatever. Yeah. Um, there is a subversive quality of um, I'm choosing to create my reality on my own terms because I want it to be better. And uh, I think that's, there's something, you know, I, there's a, this term that I like, which is the piety of defiance. Um, there's a quality in doing things on your own terms when it's for good reasons uh, that is both subversive and, and beautiful and, and positive. Yeah. Like taking sort of relishing and, and all the, all the kind of variables, whether it's subversive, maybe a little bit selfish, but also wanting to share. Um, I mean, I, I remember when, uh, I opened that kind of speakeasy tea house in Venice 10 years ago, nine years ago. Mm -hmm. And one day we were doing something or other. And you said to me, this is a really ballsy move. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I appreciated it because it was a little bit in that it was an illegal operation. I didn't have insurance, but I had a real strong wish to try to build more, to support and build more community an authentic connection and to share, share this wonderful practice of, of drinking tea mindfully and connecting with people. And, uh, you know, you could, so you could say it was illegal and subversive, but you could say the, the outcome was really wonderful and positive for a lot of people. So, you know, absolutely. And, and there's a lot to be said with the very nature of what you were doing what you were sharing, how you were sharing it. You almost, it's like, if you're going to do something kind of stone age, you have to go kind of stone age about it, you know, <laughs> just play dumb, right? <laughs> no, I mean, it's not about that. It's not about how you're presenting it in that way, but, but to go through the modern day loopholes, obstacles, bureaucracies of to get to what you actually want to do, uh, would impede greatly on uh, the the possibility of actually the end result, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's curious. Yeah. It's curious to me. I'm just having this thought maybe for the first time that the barrier to entry of doing things in your own, what own rootsy organic way are monetary, meaning the real issue wasn't, you know, the reason I think it was okay is it was, I'm having people to my living room and sharing tea with them. There's, yeah. there's of course, nothing wrong with that. The minute it became uh, an exchange of money, now, according to a lot of people, then we need to get all sorts of other people involved and um, insurance and talk about liability and get into, you know, tax issues on and on and on so ultimately i think uh you know oftentimes it's money it's money 
that obfuscates and confuses and confounds uh, people and situations. Right? Yep. The story of money, the story of, you know, trade and globalization and all these rules and regulations with which we, all the stories, as, as I guess Yuval Harari would say, all the myths and stories that we created to live by. Yeah. Quite a tangled web we've woven ourselves into here. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, even to speak personally in a, in a, you know, as I'm always trying to be really transparent with this medium of conversation, you know, it's the reason why I never tried in 10 years <laughs> to do anything in LA in terms of have a legitimate, whether it's a tea shop or a tea house or uh, an establishment with which people can come in and, and share these experiences with. And, and that's slowly changing for me personally, like with just with my own ethos, mm -hmm. because the, the more I live as Adam in the universe and I'm turning 36 this year and I have a almost four year old daughter and regardless of all the sort of the mind fuckery that comes with all these uh, thoughts and um, worries uh, uh, you know, the longer I live with sort of living maybe next to or not directly in my in my I don't want to say my, say something cliche like what if I'm not living in my truth and I'm not really living but I feel like the longer I go with avoiding avoiding uh, or being fearful of wanting to do the thing that I have been really cradling internally and sort of cradling like Gollum like oh I'd love a tea house but I don't want to do it or I don't want to be responsible for it or I don't want to build it I think uh, I think that time is up for me personally yeah great so uh and i know you and i know like if i could talk to anyone about that vulnerably it would be you and you could give me a good ass kicking to um your pep talking to like actually to get that going and to you know even if it's starting in that same regard if it's people in my living room you know once a week or something mm -hmm. um it has to start everything starts kind of like a shit sandwich and then can can be refined and iterated on and and to do properly or legally or with health code and all those things um yeah of course yeah i mean i think also there's and this is going to sound kind of hippy dippy or uh esoteric but it's also not about you i mean i know yeah. i know that you know that but um it's about if you think oh here's something that's of value to people um it will find its own way into the world as long as you can get out of your own way. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm just learning that more and more, and maybe that's something that comes with a little bit of age is, uh, the art of getting out of the way, um, while also being proactive in offering something. I mean, you know, I think, so many people come to tea ceremonies or we get into these conversations and they say, well, I don't know if I have something to give. I don't know if I have like a gift to offer or whatever. And I say, well, do you have interests? And very, very few people don't have interests, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, then just have a little discipline around every day, spending some time with that interest. And before soon, before long, you'll know more than somebody else starting out. And therefore you have something to offer. Yeah. And uh, it's just so many people, and I think this will be increasingly true as attention spans are being robbed through technology, but so many people don't, uh, they have ideas, but they don't just start doing it, you know? And I mean, I've got, I've got, I take issue with some of Gary Vaynerchuk's approaches in life, but the one thing I really appreciate is he just says, just, just go do it. Go do stuff, you know? Um. Right. And then, right. and figure it out as it, as it goes. I think there's, we can overthink things and then, you know, over time realize that we haven't done the thing that we really wanted to do because we overthought it. Even the very nature of our conversation in this, 
format in this sort of a container I'd thought about for, I'd say, a good year. You know, oh, I want to talk to people in this sort of way, but I don't know quite about what or what am I going to call this show or do I re- am I really, you know, I'm no Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan. Like, who am I? How can I, <laughs> you know, like all these, as you say, like just kind of finally after a year of just, I'm just going to get out of my own way and it's not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. In fact, I don't want it to be perfect. I want it to be a mark of what's real. Yeah. Um, and then taking, you know, five seconds to say, well, for now, I'll just call it Wabi Sabi because I don't know what to call it. <laughs> well, it's the, it's the perfection of the imperfect as well, right? The perfection of the imperfect. And it's also kind of taking this, you know, if I'm going to start from zero, like I'll start with, you know, to go esoteric for a second, like start as the fool, you know, like the zero card. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and and learn as I go um, or learn and continue to be inspired, you know, whether I'm agreeing or disagreeing with people that I'm speaking to. Yeah, 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 yeah. I also think not just uh, just starting things out and going for it, but also I've learned with T, once you know a little bit more than other people, and but you're sharing it, then you're getting the absolute best criteria for what to learn. Meaning... You know, when you're at stage three and other people are at stage one, they're asking questions that you technically should be able to answer. And if you can't, then you already know, you know, I'm still in class every time I host a tea ceremony because people come up with really good questions. Mm-hmm. If I don't know the answer afterwards, I go look it up. And then it's learning that is in the context of real life, as opposed to our education, which was memorize all the shit that you don't care about and then regurgitate right. it and then forget it. Right. Yep. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, that's great. I'm glad you're doing this. And I just said, what an awesome opportunity to have a nice conversation with my friend who I haven't talked to in, in a while. Exactly. It's <laughs> another way to like, kind of, you know, to grab people. Look, as long as it's recorded, I'm willing to talk to you for as long as you want. <laughs> Otherwise, don't call me. <laughs> Otherwise, don't waste my time. <laughs> don't waste my time. If we can't monetize this or in, or social media, it, then I'm not oh yeah i know it's like it's such a it continues to get weirder and weirder and weirder and as i move forward with my you know in the time that i've known you uh you know i've i and while you were still living in la even though i i moved to the east side and there was like i made a lot fewer appearances on the west side um i went into this whole I've since gone into this whole like design realm, what's known as user experience, where it's basically architecting digital experiences, whether they're apps or websites or campaigns or whatnot, mm-hmm. um, with the with the sole intention of advocating for end users mm-hmm. uh, in the face of you know brand goals or marketing budgets or stakeholder objectives that are obviously as we as you and i know uh you know everyone's in the market to either grab your money or and or your attention or both yeah and it's been you know i'm entering year four i don't know if it's four or five at this point of of this phase of my life you know in this uh in this field and i'm uh it's getting it's getting a lot harder to uh, even attempt to put aside my my ethics, uh-huh. my personal my personal ethics to want to help someone build an app so that someone can make money. Yeah, um, yeah. and it's like, yeah. At this point, it's like I can't I can't do this or I can't as a freelancer. You know, you 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 kind of can't help because of the way that the system works. You can't help but be a mercenary to a degree, and just you know either make your, uh, you know, if it's if it's making a uh, working towards a paycheck or making what you need to ma- meeting your overhead. It's super hard, even more so as a parent, and yet uh, there's nothing I want more 
or, or that my soul wants to do more than just to advocate for digital detox and uh and <laughs> isn't that you know as what yeah it's like what there's there's nothing else i can really imagine doing on a daily basis but just to say this is wrong uh i don't want to do i i don't want to do it in this way anymore it's not that i want to stop entirely but you know we can be taking what we know as as designers or developers or whatnot and actually do something useful even if it doesn't pay us our you know hundred thousand dollar salaries that kind of thing um and no one is really you know in term you know if you really take take stock you know and take a macro view for a second it's like there's only a few voices who are voicing these concerns like yuval harari like tristan harris of the center for humane tech mm-hmm. um mike montero who's a who owns a design firm in san francisco he has a, amazing talks i'm trying to get him on this show as well um yeah, it's like at this point now, and I just just this week, you know, leading up to this conversation, I got um, one of my contracts got terminated by my client, um, and it's like I, yeah, I, you know, I'd rather be doing this anyway, just to to voice my own personal concerns as a human, as a male, as a father, as someone who is has a watch has this apple watch on my arm (laughs) and a phone and a tablet and a computer and all these things even my car has these has a screen now where i'm able to toggle my phone screen on my car it's yeah there is there is function out there is there's you can't obviously i'm not denying the utilitarian uh notions of these things but if i'm not if i'm not being self-aware about where my attention is going. And luckily my best, my best uh, um, measure of that is being a parent, you know, being a parent in the modern world. And um, yeah, there's, I feel moving forward, I'm just going to, you know, just join the resistance, just jump into the resistance and maybe use this platform as a way to just voice these things continually. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that billions of dollars have been spent on making that tablet sitting on the kitchen counter incredibly attractive. Meaning there is a magnetic pull to technology where not only do you feel like if you're not using it, you're missing out on something, but also that by using it, you are somehow gaining some, your identity is being uh, edified, whether that's through social media or your online presence or whatever it might be. And that's where I think it's a little bit dangerous and insidious is to think that somehow your identity is actually tied up in this device because then it's really, then the technology is using us. We're not using it. And you know, I had a, a good friend of mine who's working through UCLA. She's doing acupuncture and Chinese medicine with a lot of college students. And um, they kept coming in with insomnia, depression, irritability, anxiety, like really, you know, in pretty severe cases of these things. And she's trying to understand why, you know, why is this beautiful 20 20-year-old woman who's doing great in school and is motivated and not using substances, et cetera, having all this anxiety and insomnia. And she kept seeing this over and over again over the last two years and uh, finally started to put the pattern together. And the pattern was the root of so much of this anxiety or, or mental and emotional issues was rooted in their online identities and the conversations that are happening through Instagram or whatever, and getting really self-conscious about this person said that, and what about this and this post. And she said, for the, for those of us who are a little older, who didn't grow up with all this, it's not architected into our sense of identity. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Whereas when you've had it from the time you were five or seven or 10 or whatever, um, it's become as real as when you look in the mirror, you know, you're, you're looking at a picture of yourself online. So, and because it's a curated reality, it's, it's, you know, it's like the shadows on the walls in the cave of, in the allegory of the cave, right? You're not, you're seeing, you're seeing reality that's five steps removed from an actual experience of objective reality. So it, I think the anxiety on some level is just, I feel like I'm living in a fake reality. And, and then this unconscious awareness, I am, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I hate to laugh because it's kind of, it's unfortunate, but I just found it fascinating that she said so many of these young people are um, having real problems and it's so tied up in, in their technology. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's for me, that's a big, one of the big gifts of tea. I invite everybody new to tea when they say, how do I start a tea practice? I say three cups of tea in silence in the morning, either with a partner or a loved one or by yourself. No phones, no computers, no technology. Yeah. You know, and it's 15 or 20 minutes, which just lets you see what's going on without the constant pull to be checking out into your Instagram feed or whatever. So, I mean, you know, yeah, I think yeah. we're probably just as susceptible to it. I've just been lucky because I'm taking my puppy on walks without a phone and drinking tea every day. And between those two, I get a pretty good dose of time. That's not, you know, that's in the natural world. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, and, 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 you know, my biggest, <laughs> you know, my biggest uh, defense against getting lost in a device is, is my kid, you know, and um, like, even though we'll like watch movies together on the tablet, obviously, but, but, she she is so young and pure to not have that kind of architecture in her brain yet to like have that sort of monkey mind where i'm like seeking a dopamine hit i want to see if someone saw that thing that i posted or what's even worse is uh, you know what's even more uh challenging not worse just challenging like as someone who you know like in our generation as you pointed out, like we didn't have this since we were six or seven, but more like, you know, 12, 13, 15, that kind of thing. Um, and so to use it really like not just as a, as a mode of expression to exchange ideas, but to use it like, um, you know, for, for sort of business or for marketing purposes. So when you seek that dopamine hit to see if as a marketing tool, is it working? Yeah. And then you realize that it may not work exactly the way you want it to because you need to then pay to play because that's how the algorithms work. <laughs> yeah, or you got to show some cleavage or uh, yeah. you know do something yeah. ridiculous or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a weird world we're in. <laughs> it's a very weird weird world. Yeah, you know, it's a great way to to actually connect with community and people in faraway places who have the same interests, but. Yeah, you know, there's it's a tricky thing, right? Like I love seeing earlier today I was scrolling mindlessly through Instagram as one should do, right? And uh but I come across you playing bass, guitar and with your daughter sitting there and I'm like I'm happy that I get to see that he's playing bass and that he was gifted a new guitar, I think, recently, is that right? Actually, I'm <laughs> I've had that for 15 years, but thank you. Okay. Well, there's, there was something new. Maybe it was you hadn't played yes. in a while and you, you... I haven't been... Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, so... But I wouldn't know that that's part of your prosaic reality and been able to have a moment of appreciation for it if I didn't have that medium, you know? Or, or uh, friends go on these amazing trips and I get to see where they are. Or, you know, people are aware now that I live in Telluride because they're seeing it through Instagram. And now if they come through town or they like a friend of mine saw some, you know, we had the best ski season I think we've had here in recorded history. And it's it was just, I landed in January and it just didn't stop snowing. It was unbelievable. But 
So I had a friend seeing me posting these videos of skiing in the backcountry, and he called me one day and said, I'm buying a plane ticket. I'll be there on Friday. Is that cool? And came out, you know? So like there's a, there's obviously um, a wonderful side to all this. And, and yeah, there's a magical un, undeniable magical element to it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it's like anything, right? It's how you use it or abuse it that determines its value in your life. And it takes a lot of willpower to use or abuse in the right or wrong or right or wrong ways. I mean, that's all subjective talk, but yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's actually another, that's a, a lovely topic I'd like to jump into having, you know, having met you here 10 years ago and you've had 12 years here in California. What are you learning about yourself as you've moved back to your home state? Yeah. Well, that's been an interesting kind of evolution over the last couple of years because, you know, I think I hit my point on LA of it just not feeling like home. And once you've lived somewhere for eight years, if it doesn't, if it still doesn't feel like home, then it's probably time to go. Um, and a big part of the reason for that was I felt like I never saw anybody who I cared about because I would have had to drive, you know, 17,000 hours to get to see you on, you know, three miles away or whatever, um, <laughs> or, or whomever. And I just said the people whose lives I, I feel like are my closest friends and whose lives I want to be involved in. I see them once a month if we're lucky and that just doesn't work, you know? Um, so I found it really hard in LA to feel really a part of community. And I joked around and said, I got more invitations to events by friends in Denver, uh, than I did in LA. This is not a, a poor me pity story at all. It's more the nature of life in LA. Um, yeah. So I moved back partially out of this nostalgia for growing up in Denver, what we called a dusty old cow town, thinking that those impressions and feelings and sense of small townedness and community in Denver was going to be the same when I got back there, having left, having not lived there since I was 18, you know? And, uh, and then got back and realized it's a totally transformed landscape. And the vast majority of people in Denver are transplants from elsewhere. Cause it's for like the last 10 years, it's had the fastest growing population of young people in North America. So the whole city is just totally transformed. There are whole neighborhoods that never existed when I was there. Um, and it's cool. I mean, there's a lot happening there and it's fun, but it had lost a lot of the spirit that I was looking for growing up there. So, you know, I moved up to the mountains in Boulder, outside of Boulder, and I spent basically a year walking around in the woods. Um, and I was up there with my ex-girlfriend, and um, we lived uh, next to a national a state park. And so there were trails and rivers and forests and mountains, and I would go for hours without seeing anybody. It was kind of amazing, actually. Um, and it was nice. I think it was a rare thing for somebody in their mid-30s to have a year of just a lot of quietude. A lot of it's almost like a sabbatical in a way. Yeah, a lot of reflection, a lot of writing, a lot of tea, a lot of sitting on, you know, the tops of mountains and just taking stock and inventory and uh, getting perspective on my life up to this point. And um it was incredibly clarifying and healing and and wonderful. And I sort of feel like every month my nervous system after being in LA for so long, like stepped down a notch to the point where after a year I was like, Oh, I actually feel relaxed now. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, and you know, I finished up all my medical board exams and started seeing patients for Chinese medicine, which felt really good to finally be really starting to serve and try to help people. And, uh, and so that was a really wonderful time. And then <clears throat> Our relationship ended and I decided I didn't want to stay in Boulder because it just didn't quite feel like home yet. And I landed up here in Telluride, which is a tiny mining town. There's 2,400 people who live here. Wow. And it's at the end of a box canyon and we're just surrounded by 14,000 foot peaks and cliffs in every direction. I mean, it's really one of the most beautiful places I've been on earth. So I'm very happy about that. 
but a town of 2,400 people is very, very small, right? And I thought, is this going to be too small? I got a little house right in the middle of town. And what I found was I see the same 30 people every day. I know what's going on in everybody's life. There's incredible sense of community and community resilience. I have help all the time and uh, I can help people. And, you know, if I need somebody to dog sit my dog, I literally send a text message and get three responses in five minutes. And they're like, yeah, drop it off at the coffee shop or at this place or that place. So, you know, I'm incredibly happy to be living in such a small town. And I didn't think that would always be the case. Um, and I really think in some ways we are a byproduct or we're, yeah, we're a byproduct of the place we grew up. And so being back in Colorado, um, there's something about being here that feels very deeply, uh, kind of nourishing. And I don't really know how else to describe it, but there's a familiarity that kind of makes you just exhale and go, ah, it's good to be home. So, so yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that sounds, that's very poetic. <laughs> I mean, at least to hear it, it sounds very poetic. Um, especially like being here in LA and, and, and definitely catching, catching, you know, a lot of your, the ski, videos like it looks like yeah you guys had an unfathomable amount of snow i mean you know in the local lingo powder shots to the face all day long (laughs) (laughs) um yeah but you also are speaking about something that as a as a parent in a city like los angeles that yearning for community and community doesn't necessarily rely only on it being a town of 2,400 people, but a community is a community, you know, like it, it may be easier in the modern world to do it in a town of 2,400 people. Um, but yearning for that as a parent is very real. Um, so it's really inspiring to hear how you've, you know, like, gotten out of your own way and sort of, and found yourself there. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the, part of the lesson for me, I've wanted to move here for 20 years and not really known why, except for it's incredibly beautiful and the skiing's great. There's a lot of amazing live music and festivals and things all summer long. Um, But I felt something deeper like this. There's something about this place I have to explore. I really, I don't know what it is. And, you know, life has its own, logic i think so for some reason i needed to wait until now to be here but having that goal and that feeling like i wanted to move here for so long um there's something to that and i think people do i think everybody has the subtle current or pull of of the Tao or the dharma or whatever it is that they're meant to be doing you know their purpose we're all being pulled and tugged and nudged uh in that direction. And oftentimes uh, we just can't turn our minds off enough to really listen. And, um, you know, I think in some ways that year, that year quote sabbatical was sort of what allowed me the, the space to see, this is what I really want and why I kind of had enough clarity to move here. But, um, you know, so my, I, I say that because if somebody has a pull to go somewhere or do something and they're not doing it, that's kind of like saying to life, show me what's going to bring me happiness or joy or connection or whatever. And then life tries to show you and you, you don't create any space for it. And that, um, what I will say from my experience moving here is that you have to, because I've, I've had probably the best three months I've had in the last 10 years since I moved here. And I think that's a byproduct of, of heeding that kind of call. Um, but also, you know, like when we finish this conversation, I'm, I'll take my dog for a walk down the block. She's become kind of famous because she's extremely cute. And uh, 
people don't care about me whatsoever, but they sure care about this puppy. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, you know, people will stop their car and wave and go, Hey muddy. And it's like, that happens like 25 times a day. And that I cannot overstate the subtle positive influence that has on a person's psyche when they feel just a general sense of connection and familiarity with people, you know? Yeah. Having, um, yeah, I, yes. And, and in, in my, in my reality, having a, having a daughter who is like a local celebrity when we walk in the, into the market and stuff, it's the same thing. It, it, uh, it, there's this unspeakable, like, you know, sort of gushing of gratitude and, um, and awe, you know, just pure awe of watching someone like your, like your offspring, you know, become, become themselves as, as you kind of experience life with them. And, um, yeah. And it also, and it, and it rubs off on you as well. Like just the, the sort of the, the pure humanity of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, my puppy's name is, is Mudita, but she goes by muddy for short. So Mudita is a term that comes out of, uh, well, Mahayana Buddhism, but it's also in Theravadan Buddhism. And, and the term means, literally, it means sympathetic joy. But uh, it's for, they say it's one of the four prerequisites for somebody to become a bodhisattva or an enlightened person, you know. Um, and this idea of sympathetic joy is when you see somebody else's growth or their success or their happiness, it evokes a quality of of happiness and joy in you. And, you know, one might say, well, isn't that like a natural thing that people have? And I would say not really, because so often we see somebody else becoming, become successful or have something happen that's really positive. And we experience jealousy, frustration. We feel like, why is that not happening for me? Or there's a whole, there's a whole, uh, you know, list of different possible reactions to that. Um, and often in our modern culture, it's a lot of the time, I think it's, we often want to tear people down when they are experiencing some kind of real success. So I named her Mudita because I like this idea of when people meet a puppy or a dog or a child or have some experience, uh, where they naturally that feeling of joy is the automatic response. I really, mm -hmm. I really like that idea. Um, and it's also nice cause then the short form is muddy and muddy waters is one of my favorite, uh, blues musicians. So, um, uh, so I don't know why I decided to share that, but I'm glad that I did. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because, because even talking about it invokes a little spark of joy. I mean, you can't, you can't help it, you know, it's, and if it's not what we're pursuing, whether it's actively or, or subconsciously pursuing, then like, what the fuck are we doing really? You know? Um, yeah. You know, not, not to like, not to really, not to stop it at all at that moment, but um you know, as we, I don't know. I mean, I feel like people like you and I and people who are, who are like-minded, um, regardless of what we do in our lives, we're, we're really seeking authentic connection and, and seeking, you know, shades of humanity amidst the, you know, the sort of the drabness of, the drabness and mediocrity of, of technology. Yeah. 
or even or even you know to even take a second to speak about the really vicious grotesque parts of it which is what you mentioned a moment ago which was like people have the natural inclination to like shit on the people who are who are succeeding or who are doing well which is this real foundational byproduct of what social media has become really yeah yeah yeah, Um, yeah. which is disgusting at least that's just what i think about it but but also that grotesqueness that grotesqueness like is a is a means for other people to communicate, you know, like that's their, that's their MO. Well, it's it's also a byproduct of their state of mind and being. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that a lot of folks don't realize is that if one's spending their time trolling or disparaging or dismissing or whatever it is they might be doing uh, through these online mediums, well, one, it's kind of cowardly because you're not addressing things directly. You know, you're doing it anonymously or church or in a tertiary kind of way. But, um, but I think what people don't realize is that they're the ones causing more suffering for themselves and that the likelihood of it having a real significant impact on whomever they're you know, speaking out against or disparaging or whatever is significantly less than the influence it's having on themselves. Um, so yeah, it's a weird phenomenon, but it's not particularly surprising, you know? I mean, sure. I kind of like, if you just observe group dynamics, if people don't know each other very well, like when they are just meeting, And of course, this depends on the environment, but it's very often the case that when people can't find something to talk about, uh, or it's like small talk, it will turn into some form of complaining you often pretty quickly, complaining about this, complaining about that. And uh, complaining about weather or traffic or something. Yeah. And it's like, it would be considered anomalous if a person's focus were always celebration of something happening in that moment. And there's always a gajillion things to celebrate in a moment, but some reason, for some reason in the human psyche, the tendency is towards complaint or pointing out what's wrong or what this person did or didn't do, you know? So I think some of that's just sort of cultural and educational uh, conditioning that is manifesting in technology. Yeah. Which is what's so great about tea ceremony because usually people aren't talking. <laughs> <laughs> or if they or if we are, we're talking about you know what this tastes like or what it smells yeah. like or Heat. throwing in a throwing in a bit of fact or history or um Yeah, we can we can we can choose to express our our reverence like in the in the thick of the present moment, like, look at this color, or like, wow, that thing is so beautiful or, yeah. You know, I think it has a way of warping time such that people notice these things when maybe they're always there, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the very reason why we continue to do and, and share, you know, these experiences. Yeah. Um, when I see that you, you know, you host stuff like in your home and tell you, right. It's like, that's so, it just looks like, oh man, I wish I could just teleport. <laughs> yeah. Just walk into the screen, walk out. Yeah. Be there, you know. And and then and then on my side, it's um like tomorrow there's a food fest locally here, um, called Taste of the East Side that uh, is actually one of as as our preschool's biggest fundraiser. Uh, of the year and i'm going to be doing like a short like maybe 30 minute sort of gong fu demo for like vip ticket holders oh nice Um, just as a as a way of like keeping that muscle you know in use of like being able to speak about it share throw out a couple of facts entice people's curiosity and imagination and maybe we can have a further conversation later which hopefully will seed into you know, a future pop-up or maybe a future space, that kind of thing. 
Hope you enjoyed the talk. Once again, check out Colin's tea company, livingtea.net, for more information on the Seasonal Tea Club, as well as some of the best aged teas you can buy. Also check out white2tea.com, which is our official tea sponsor. If you're interested in checking out some of the teas that I've been drinking while conducting these interviews. And finally, if you are enjoying these episodes, please, your feedback means a lot. So please leave a review. And lastly, if you'd like to um, support the show, please check out patreon.com forward slash wabi sabi. Or you can go to the website imagesoftea.xyz forward slash wabi sabi and see more info about that. Thanks.